consumption of music globally is way, 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 way up on the individual basis. And what they're able to listen to is vastly changed. You just put those two things together, it has a network effect that most people can't really comprehend. And that's what's really showing. And it's just starting. That's Mark Geiger, one of the music industry's most powerful impression executives. He founded the first musician-centric platform in the 90s, called Artist Direct, and co-founded the Lollapalooza Festival with Jane's Addiction singer Perry Farrell. Now, as head of William Morris Endeavor's music division, he books artists like The Weeknd, Drake, and Haim, to name a few. And he's right. Recorded music consumption is at an all-time high. With over 106 million paid subscribers last year, streaming drove the global record business to its highest annual growth in 15 years. And now the music is only a voice command away. If I go back to the vinyl, I bought whatever. I'm stupid. It's right in front of me. I can even just say it out loud and go, hey, you know, Alexa, play Ultra Vivid Scene. Let's see if it happens. Let's see if it, let's see if it worked. Hold on. Shuffling songs by Ultra Vivid Scene. Shuffling songs by Ultra Vivid Scene. Nice. Worked. Worked, right? Alexa, turn off the music. Ha. Ha. For aspiring artists, digital ubiquity is a mixed blessing. Technology has made it easier than ever to record and release your own music. Well north of 20,000 songs are added to Spotify every day. And according to Goldman Sachs, 70% of the music streamed is so-called catalog, releases that are 18 months or older. So how's a new artist to stand out these days? Or even, you know, make a living. From Nokia Bell Labs... This is Future Human, a series about the human potential of technology. This season, we're looking at what happens when scientists and artists collaborate. This is Episode 3, Ceremony and Ubiquity. Now, on Episode 2 of Future Human, you're acquainted with Bell Labs' anechoic chamber, an echoless soundproof room built in 1940 to enable researchers to experiment with sound and signal transmission. You also met B.D. Wolfe, a London-based singer, songwriter, and technologist who's helping Bell reinvigorate their Experiments in Art and Technology, or EAT, program. EAT began by accident in the late 60s when a group of Bell Labs engineers, led by Billy Kluver, signed on to help some of the ascendant artists of the day, folks like Robert Rauschenberg, John Cage, and Robert Whitman, put on a first-of-its-kind exhibition, Nine Evenings, Theater and Engineering, in New York City. Fifty-plus years on, Bell Labs and Beattie have come together to redefine what an album premiere could look like. And on the evening of the launch, Bell Labs president and Nokia CTO Marcus Weldon kicks things off. The thesis is actually the following, that we want to explore how the physical and digital worlds collide, but collide to actually enhance... Uh, and have the best of both. So think of it as physical experience has some attributes, digital has convenience a- attributes and that you can consume it anyway. Mm-hmm. But actually the best of both is what we're looking for, for an enhanced cognitive or aesthetic or human communications experience. And if you think about what we do, we, we're all about human communications and ways of transferring human state from one place to another. So in that exploration, we run a, ran across 
uh, but did not run over the uh, amazing Beatty Wolf, who has been exploring this from another angle, and I'll let Beatty explain uh, the physical digital paradigm in your words. Absolutely. Well, so from, I guess, the first time I started writing um, songs, it was really, you know, that then informed my desire to be a singer when I was a kid. Um, and the first sort of feel and listen to a record really made me want to make an album. So that vinyl, um, you know, that vinyl uh, format that was very much something I discovered as a kid and just thought was the most magical thing on this planet. Um, ever since that very visceral experience of being eight with these records, I guess I've tried to recreate something of the magic of that tangibility, that sort of ability to tell a story as an artist through an album, um, and also that feeling of ceremony, you know, when you put on the record and you really listen to it. So I've been very much sort of looking at that tangible digital intersection in terms of, you know, album releases. Um, my first r record was this 3D interactive vinyl for your iPhone. Um, the second was this musical jacket that was made by the tailor who dressed Bowie uh, out of fabric woven with my music. Um, and I'd like to think that Rule Space sort of brings together all these threads of, you know, how you create a fully immersive experience that really transports the listener to the world of the album. At this point, Beattie enters the anechoic chamber and performs two songs live for folks to watch in an adjacent, acoustically optimized antechamber. As she plays, an augmented layer of lyrics and imagery, inspired by the songs, takes shape in real time, following her as she moves around the space, triggered by her singing. The visual presentation by a Boston-based firm called Design.io is truly breathtaking. It's not just a lyric video on steroids. It's akin to waking up and finding yourself inside the songs. For a final act, to reinforce the essence of the anechoic chamber, what Beattie calls the sound of sound, the audience is ushered into the chamber itself for a live acoustic performance. I love the sound of playing live in there. I think a lot of people might, you know, hate it because there is no reverb and there is nothing to sort of soften the edges. And, and I just get such a kick out of hearing that pure, you know, absolutely pure um, sort of voice and guitar. This private event segued into a week-long on-demand premiere on YouTube, billed as the world's first 360 augmented reality album stream, but referred to by Beattie as an anti-stream. People can log in, but they can't fast forward or shuffle uh, or pause. Wherever the album is in that particular cycle is what they'll hear. And then on the generative AR side, you know, there's this kind of experience where the whole album has this visual treatment where each song has this different kind of visual landscape. Um, and so, for example, in track two, you know, The Man Who, uh, you might suddenly be in this sort of Salvador Dali type desert that seems to go on forever. And, you know, the walls of the chamber have just dissolved and you're in you're standing on, the, you know, this plane of sand that seems to just go on um, for as far as the eye can see. And you're watching this Jacobetti character hanging himself and there are sort of crows surrounding you. Um, so there'll be elements that are hard coded in terms 
terms of that sort of visual landscape. But then for each song, there'll be uh, a generative aspect which will allow for certain changes so that each person, when they log in, might see something slightly different. This spectacular album launch, powered by the resources and collaborative ingenuity of Beattie and Bell Labs, is a singular event, one that wows the small cadre of music, internet, and media folks lucky enough to witness it. The question then is, is there a middle ground? Not surprisingly, Beattie isn't the only one looking to AR to enhance live performance. My name is Keith Lawler. I'm co-founder of a company called First Stage. We're the world's first augmented reality music platform, and we're based in Dublin, Ireland. Augmented reality entered mainstream consciousness with the runaway success of the Pokemon Go mobile game last year. The game superimposes Pokemon characters on real-world locations, even earning the kudos of parents happy to see their gamer kids leaving the house to collect them all. But can AR help an artist reach beyond the neighborhood coffee house? For Keith, an accomplished musician who's opened for the likes of punk legends Fugazi, the motivation is simple. The way that artists are making money is by playing live, but they can only play one gig at a time. So what we figured out was like, how do you, how do you play more gigs? You know, if you could play more gigs, you'd make more money. So with augmented reality gigs, it means that you can potentially play you know, as we were saying earlier on, like live streamed augmented reality means you play one gig, but that, that gig is playing out in millions of places all over the world. Um, people are paying money for those, uh, for those experiences and, you know, gener- generating a brand new revenue stream for artists all the time. You know, if you're, if you're in Saudi Arabia or China, those bands are never going to come to you and you're never going to have, you know, a live music experience that you might want to have. Augmented gigs or virtual gigs or whatever you want to call them certainly will never be better than a live, a live show with a kick drum hitting you in the face. You know, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. But um, it certainly can give you uh, an intimate experience. And we, we, have, we have tested and we have, we've, uh, we're understanding that people are willing to pay for that. And the first stage offering is indeed unique. You can point your phone at a tabletop or a utility pole, and instantly an artist or a band appears, performing live. WME's Geiger, who's built his career on epic performances, one at a time, is not quite convinced. At the end of the day, VR and AR are not here. You know, usually you have a first market, let's call it a gamer, and we'd be wearing the headset a lot, and then it would pervade society. We don't even have that yet. It's all tech starter hype markets, both VR and AR. Forget the companies we're doing it. There's no consumers, there's no market. Taking the concept of a virtual performance to its logical limit, attendees of the 2012 Coachella Festival witnessed an unprecedented first when a hologram of deceased rapper Tupac appeared, performing alongside his longtime homies Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. The crowd was astonished by the realism of the performance, and watching it on YouTube, it feels eerily believable. Rich Flyer is the managing director of global business development for Digital Domain, the visual effects shop that developed the Tupac hologram, as well as such virtual movie characters as Benjamin Button. He explains why we're not being inundated with live tours from the likes of John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix yet. 
why haven't we seen 22 pucks or or you know all these virtual bands popping up i think it's going to come and in fact i know it's going to and you know we're we we create them all the time they're in movies and they're here and they're there but but the ones that are you know, you know standalone and, and and going to be coming out you know you know just as virtual performers and, and aren't really based off of real people or maybe from from the past it's it's still a little bit ways off and, and the main reason for that is this is very, very difficult work. Yes, we, you know, it's gotten much quicker um, to complete the, the same quality than it was five years ago and definitely 10 years ago. We're much, much more efficient at doing it, but it still takes a lot of time and it still you know, costs significant money. However, they are making some inroads. In fact, we have one touring in Asia right now, a singer by the name of Teresa Tang, who is a completely digital variant of that singer. Teresa uh, Tang uh, passed away many, many years ago. It's a similar situation to our, you know, our Tupac scenario. So this allowed us to, uh, you know, recreate and actually create brand new performances. And then, you know, you know, and she got to go out and, and, and visit her fans again. She has been doing concerts uh, in Asia for a couple of years. You know, everyone else on stage is real, um, but 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 she is 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 virtual. We've sold out arenas doing this. So we are definitely committed to this and experimenting with which business models work. It's not going away. It's like anything in the computing field, you know, it's, it's getting quicker you know, and cheaper to do. And then when we hit that, you know, inflection point of when it really makes sense with those two factors, um, you know, you're going to see a lot, lot more um, digital humans out there. So what does the future hold for live performance? Whatever it is, according to Geiger, it'll be much more iterative than music's drastic shift to streaming has been. Streaming didn't change music. That's not what's changing. What changes the distribution system and the business model, right? And, and how, and everybody's, ability to get music got instant and right there and it's in process of getting paid for. I think the live performance thing's the same. It's been live performance the same for millions of years. That ain't going to change, but the distribution, places you can experience it, the things around it, the answers, the tickets, the quality of the venues, the sound, the this, that, that, that'll all change. And it, and it is, but it's not one change because it's not on a digital network. This physical ish changes one at a time and it's very slow comparatively, right? So that's really the, how I look at it. Ultimately, True to the folk music that inspires her, Beatty Wolf will be happy if folks just carve out a little bit of their day to savor the experience. It's just allowing people to engage with music, you know, in different ways, but kind of currently the main way people are listening to music is you know it's it's sort of part of the background noise um you know the, these kind of 24-hour shuffles that we have going on you know that augment our our day and it, for me it's really about you know bringing music back into you know kind of the the a sort of focused place where you make time for it where you switch everything else off you know the equivalent of like having a vinyl and you know really reading that record as almost like a musical book and you know having that sort of ceremonial experience of putting the needle on and pouring yourself some whiskey and you know making time for the album For more information about the topics discussed today, please check our show notes. Most of the music today is from BD Wolf's new album, Raw Space, available at bdwolf.com. 
That's B-E-A-T-I-E-W-O-L-F-E dot com. You can check out First Stage, the AR concert company, at firststage.com and Digital Domain, the virtual human and VR company, at digitaldomain.com. If you like this episode of Future Human, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Also, feel free to leave a review at iTunes. Future Human is a production of Nokia Bell Labs. This episode was written and produced by me, Sandy Smolens, for Audiation.fm. It was recorded and mixed at The Loft in Bronxville, New York, by Matt Noble, who also composed the theme music with me. Additional audio production was done by our friends at Bang Studios in New York City. Audiation.